Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. I know we got the NBA Finals tonight, so we're gonna be uh, we're gonna try to be pretty quick with this because I know you guys want to watch the game. Um, as always, this week's courtside with Beals and Tennis segments brought to you by the Ragged Man, the industry leader in racket stringing, racket repair, and customization. Go to www.theragaman.net for more info. Again, that's www.theragaman.net for more info. Also. Audio-visual equipment brought to you by CB Strategic Communications. Thank you for that. Um, we have a very special guest tonight. Um, let me just take care of some quick things. Some quick housekeeping items before we get to our special guest. Um, go check out the podcast that I released. Um, was it last Wednesday night, I believe? It's with Yannette Koch, first-team All-American, University of Kansas graduate. We had so much fun um, recording it. Yannette was great. I think you'll all get a, get a kick out of listening to that. Again, it's, uh, it could be found, be found on iTunes, Google Play. Um, under Beelinson Tennis, B-E-I-L-I-N-S-O-N, you see the sign behind me. Um, so go check that out. And without further ado, I want to introduce our guest tonight, he was kind enough to talk with me earlier today. We just kind of uh, did a last-minute thing, and he was willing to to call in tonight. He's been in the news as of late. He's had some great, great thoughts on the future of our sport. I've been fortunate enough to have him on my podcast before. Go check it out. It's episode 36. This guest gives great insight on what it's like to face Roger Federer in the first time. He faced him in the Australian Open. He also just recently... Um, was with uh, Mike Cation in a podcast where he kind of reiterated his comments that he's recently been distributing out on social media the last few days. It's my privilege to have with us tonight, Noah Rubin. Noah, thank you for uh, doing this last minute. Really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I'm always, you know, always around to share my thoughts, so no, I appreciate give me the outlet yeah so um for the people listening in and commenting in if you can't hear me or can't hear noah just let us know but we've done this number of time with other calling guests and you guys seem uh you, you guys seem to hear him just fine so just if something gets screwed up just let us know and we'll uh we'll try to work around it um i guess we'll start noah with comments you recently made um about the future of the tour and specifically you know, when the big three, big four, you include Andy Murray on it, um, leave. And you were pretty open with your comments. And when you're open like that, especially in today's age on social media, you are going to get the good and you're going to get the bad. I will preface this by saying your intentions are 100% for the betterment of the sport. You are not looking at tearing this down at all. You love the sport. You've lived for this sport. This is what you love to do. Um, I'll kind of run with, I'll I'll let you run with, you know, what was behind it. We all know about a little more about your behind the racket project, Um, but kind of what was behind the impetus of these comments the last few days? Yeah. um, You know, recently I was thinking of ways, you know, uh, there's a lot of move parts in my life right now, but they're all trying to get platforms and opportunities for really for myself, you know, to make an impact and then for to have other players around me make an impact on the sport. Because again, like you were nice enough to say, I really do love the sport. And that's why, well, actually it turned out I got mostly positive comments on social media. I mean, obviously some were negative, but 
you know, I think once I responded and they saw my point of view, they saw that, you know, I'm not here to try to ruin the sport of tennis. I only want to see it grow. I don't want to see it 10 years from now. We look back and say, oh, my God, I cannot believe we didn't see these true issues that we could have, you know, maybe handled a lot better. Now, this is a sport that's truly dying out. And I don't I don't want to regret that. And, you know, I think it's almost a responsibility of myself. I put it on myself to just say, you know what, Noah, do all you can and do it in the most respectful manner. But try to get people to listen and, you know. I got, you know, a little bit of uh, leverage when I posted this tweet about Dominic Team with this incident with Whoopi Goldberg. And right. then from there, I was like, you know what, Noah, let's use this little bit of platform, your 15 minutes that you get every, you know, month or two on social media. And, you know, let's let's try to get a couple of people involved in at least talking about the situation. And that's where we are now. And I'm trying to answer as many tweets as possible. And and trying to get some, you know, thought-provoking questions, and we'll see. We'll see where it ends up. Yeah, I mean, Noah has himself admits he does not have all the answers. He is looking. Um, he will. He will read the comments. He will do his best to respond to comments, um, both if they're they're good and and both. You know, obviously, he's not going to respond to any hate messages. I mean, there's no part, there's no place in that at all. But this is a this is a. a it's important to Noah. Obviously, if if you look at his po- if you listen to his podcast with Mike Cation earlier today, Mike asked you, Noah, is this taking away from your tennis? Um, can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, you know, I would say, and I and I kind of answered this with him was it was kind of chicken before the egg thing, and. <laughs> some people like, like to call it my midlife crisis, existential crisis, whatever you want to call it. Um, I was having some realizations, and those were negative and you know affecting my tennis. But it was because of that that now I'm looking for ways to go about life differently. Um, I've looked into the way I'm going about tennis now, and I'm looking into I'm taking data from a lot of players around me that were really truly unhappy with tennis the way it is now but with that being said a lot of other people don't have another path to go i fortunately have a lot of other resources and things that excite me and ventures given tennis is my number one focus and always will be but i feel like it's in my best interest to at least see if i make an impact on this sport and make it better for the people around me and if that takes away from my tennis a little bit you know what i'm actually okay with that because Right now, with the way the sport is, it is making me unhappy. Even at my best, which was around last year, I was around 120 in the world. I was playing a week after that. I was, you know, losing in challengers. And, you know, if you're not one of the top five people, it's very tough to make that quick jump inside the top 50. You know, I wasn't using the momentum as great as some of these other guys. So I'm looking at the sport like there's more that can be done, and I want to try to do that. So yes, to answer your question, it is taking away from my tennis, but that's almost a choice. Right. I could be doing a lot of things I can be doing with still playing, but it's almost my choice now. I'm, I'm cutting back a little bit on some tennis aspects just to give myself that happiness, which I lost a little bit along the way. No, I, I mean, I, I respect it, and I know your peers greatly respect it as well. And we were kind of floating some ideas around earlier. You know, it w- especially in this country, it's all about team sports. Um, and, you know, we were just floating around some things. You were floating some ideas around with, with, with Mike on his podcast. You know, I, I suggested, hey, why don't we go, let's say a slam, right? You get 128 players, maybe the top eight seeds, you have a draft. 
the top eight seeds draft 16 players and you're all part of a team. The ATP points still stay, you know, as is. And not only do you have an individual winner and individual prize money, but now you have a team winner and team prize money. Maybe, you know, guys playing something for bigger than just themselves. And it doesn't have to be the top eight seeds get 16. You could do 16 seeds get eight players. And it doesn't just have to be for the slams. Be for the smaller tournaments. You scale it back. But just like you said, you, you look at things such as the Labor Cup. And, yeah, those are the best players in the world. I get it. But people rally around team sports. And the more that maybe we can um, – put tennis in that type of realm the better it may be a thousand percent and, that, and honestly your idea doesn't hinder the sport as much as my idea so that actually may be appealing to a lot of people mine are a little harsher i would have to say you know i'm looking at it where you know what actually you know maybe we keep the slams maybe we change them to three not three out of five sets but we keep the slams we keep a few of the thousands that are working really well, such as Monte Carlo, Indian Wells, a few of those really great events. Right. But for the rest of the year, we have, you know, let's say let's say we have three different divisions around the world, and we have this team atmosphere that plays like a college format, and you're traveling within your own divisions. You know, there could be three leagues within the U.S., and you're traveling within your own divisions. Then you go internationally to play some tournaments. But within this college format, you're getting ATP points that will allow you to play the slams and the Masters 1000s. But, you know, my ideas are definitely a little more of an overhaul of the sport because I feel like that's, you know, it's almost a necessity. We have to get this really fan-friendly sport back. We have to get this exciting cheering with jerseys being worn and people screaming and, you know, that team atmosphere, the support from the team. We need that back a little bit more um, and I think in your idea it could be lost because we're still playing that you know quiet tennis I don't know right. if you were thinking that way but I think in the team atmosphere we need to get that cheering that chanting that, that thrill where that 8 year old kid is like wow I want to be here right. no 8 year old is watching the Grand Slams right now and saying you know what dad I've watched too much tennis already it's been 3 hours uh, I want to go now right <laughs> you know, and, and you mentioned you mentioned the Tsitsipas Wawrinka match it was unbelievable but but again 4 and a half hours what kid is sitting on the couch watching four and a half hours of tennis and you hit on all the all the great points you know one thing that this sport is up against we also we were talking about this a little bit earlier is um you know monday through thursday day matches or i'll say maybe even tuesday through thursday day day matches because people can take off work do a long weekend on a friday or a monday kids can maybe miss one day of school on a friday or a monday but um not a lot. Of, not a lot of other sports that we're kind of going up against have day matches Monday through Thursday, Monday through Friday, and consistently with people working and with people in school. How do you get those people out to those matches? Because we've all seen first round matches, second round matches during the week, and there's 20 people in the stands. There's also the price of tickets um, that that we were talking about earlier. That that is very expensive. Again, for a family of four on a Tuesday. For a first or second round match, it's extremely expensive. Um, it's, you know, we already have a limited amount of people that enjoy watching tennis, especially in the U.S. But again, people are like, oh, it's the only in the U.S. And it's not. I pinned the tournaments around the world, ATPs, you know, even at the 250 and even 500 level, 
stands are empty. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not getting that crowd. So you're talking about a very small group of people that want to watch tennis compared to some other sports, and now you're limiting it because it's during the day and they can't go watch it. So you're talking about you're getting 25% of already the two percent of people that watch tennis and you know that's when you're getting these numbers out where you're looking at the 250s and you know i mean i'm putting challengers out of the water because they don't get anybody but even 250s in the u.s you're getting you know five ten people the first round sometimes 50 people if it's an unbelievable match so it's really sad and then you know they don't see what they're doing they don't understand that it's better to fill the seats and, and stop charging people forty to seventy dollars for a ticket, and rather just have people there than anything else. Right. You know, it's Ab- yeah, absolutely agree. Um, listen, I really appreciate this, uh, I, and I know you agreed to do this last minute, and, and thank you so much. I know people want you here more, but I know you got uh, better things to do. So before I let you go. Um, just talk a little bit about Rafa. I want, I want to hear your thoughts. And people want to hear your thoughts because we're, we're never going to see something like this again, at least in our lifetimes. There's really no place to start with it. I mean, you're talking about an unprecedented, you know, 12th Roland Garros. I mean, you know, the stats come out that he's, you know, on that surface. I don't know. He's like a 96% chance of winning the match, which is almost unfathomable. I mean, he's probably one of the most dominating athletes in the history of any sport. I mean, it's pretty insane. Um, You know, it's a combination between, you know, and I've heard this from some people on Twitter, like, is it boring? Is it boring to see the same person win over and over again? Like, would they have rather have seen a team win or something like that? That's possible. But to see somebody, you know, winning French Opens, like, you know, he's just taking a stroll on a Sunday morning, and I think he's done it, I don't know, don't quote me, three, maybe four times without dropping a set. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's almost nauseating to think about. It's unbelievable. And, and, you know, and that's where my tweet came, where, you know, could we have a drop-off? Because these, I mean, people like, you know, how does anybody else transcend the sport like Rafa and Federer? I mean, I don't, you know, we have some amazing, crazy, talented people, you know, players coming up. And Shapovalov tweeted back to me saying, you know, I think we're in good hands. And I said, yeah, you guys are incredibly talented and exciting. But I don't know if you can match up to Fed and Rafa's level of transcending a sport. And we're still having problems now. So right. imagine what it's going to be when they drop off. And that's a scary thing. I mean, because the things that they have both done on their respective um, surfaces is unmatched and pretty insane. So, you know, it's exciting to watch Nadal get out there and not drop a point without effort. And it's insane, but it's scary to think what it's going to be without them. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. There were some crazy stats on, on Twitter. I mean, I, I read one from a reader from John Wertheim. He said if, if Rafa loses in the first round, the next 91 French Opens, he'll be at 500. He'll be at a winning percentage of 500. If he loses in the first round, the next ninety-one French Opens. I mean, it's crazy. Um, That's insane. If he if he wins the first set in a best-of-five match uh, on clay, he's like a hundred and zero or ninety-nine and yeah, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Something crazy like that. Noah, um, thank you. Uh, and again, your intentions are spot on. This the sport is lucky to have you. And for everyone listening, again. Um, Check out my podcast with Noah. It's episode 36. And and more apropos to what we're talking about today, check out his podcast with Mike Cation. Um, it was just released. What is it? Um, Coffee with Cation, I believe. You can check yes. it out on, on iTunes. And it was um, it was for about an hour, but it was very, very informative. And, and the hour will go by quick. It's um, 
very thoughtful and um, again the, the sport's lucky to have you Noah thank you so much and, and best of luck this summer and, and maybe I'll see you in Winneka yes no I really appreciate having me on and we'll talk soon thanks Noah Good night. I hope you guys I hope you guys enjoyed that that was really cool of him um, we were talking earlier and, and he agreed to, to really do this last minute so I hope you enjoyed it I hope you heard it okay um, and with that we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the French Open, um, a little bit more. You know, with the men, the, the top four seeds made it, which, again, is incredible. And you have your semi, Rafa versus Roger. Um, if you want to hear the debate that we had, uh, myself and, and Will Colmar, who's on listening now, it's episode 42. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it on this page as well, or my website, beyondsontennis.com. We, we talk Rafa versus Roger. We're not going to get into all the, all the stats um, we did that a year ago, but it's unbelievable what, what Rafa's doing. And, and um, Friday was just awful, brutal conditions. You saw the wind kick up. Um, the second semi was Dominic Team and Novak. They stopped a set, a piece, team up 3-1, a break. Um, Novak wanted no part of that day, wanted absolutely no part. Um, they came back. Team wins 7-5 in the fifth, I believe. Dominic Team, by the way, crazy stat. He's 24-2. and in the French Open against opponents other than Rafa. That's how good Dominic has been at the French. Um, the final Rafa versus team, it, it's just... Rafa's opponents, they play at such a high level, and then they get that set, and then Rafa keeps amp- ramping it up, ramping it up, ramping it up, and the opponents just can't match it. Um, a couple points in the final yesterday. The first set, Rafa's down a break. He gets broken 2-3. His response, Rafa's response is break, hold, break, hold, set, over. It's crazy. Um, second set, team still played at an extremely high level, wins the second set, 7-5. And, I, I, you know, what's most common for any mortal person to have the slightest letdown, which you can't do against Rafa, Rafa pounces all over you. And team only wins two games the rest of the match in the third and fourth set combined. Um, I mentioned some of the crazy stats with Rafa. Um, you know, he wins the first set, you know, best of five uh, matches on clay. Uh, five set matches on clay. He's like 99-0 or 100-0. The other, the other thing on Twitter was, uh, what was it? We, we mentioned early, you know, if he loses in the first round, the next 91 French Opens, he's still at a 500 winning percentage. There, there's no words that can talk just what we're witnessing. We will never see this again in our lifetimes. And as long as he's healthy, he's not stopping at 12, which is, which is crazy. Um, one thing I mentioned on Twitter yesterday, and for, for people who watch this who are students, guys I coach, or guys just people who just listen as a whole, TV doesn't do it justice, but the height of the ball over the net with these guys, it's so much higher than the, than, than the net level, you know, that three feet um, over the center of the net, three, three, uh, three feet six inches on the sidelines. It's so much higher. They play with high margin of error, but yet that ball is so, so heavy. Um, just something to, to pay attention to. You know, we're, we're, we've been going for a little bit. I know we got the NBA Finals we're competing with. Just just to wrap up, you know, congrats to Novak Djokovic. The guy went 26-1 in the last four slams. Um, that's crazy. Rafa, again, you can't say enough about him. Marty Fish had a tweet. Um, he said that one of the most underrated things was how Rafa's physicality can, um, you know, wear you down and... and I don't know. I responded back to Marty and say, I agree, his physicality is amazing, but I don't think that's underrated. Um, I've never experienced it, and uh, it's, 
I, I'm well aware of how brutal it is, and everybody else who watches Rafa uh, is aware of how brutal and um, relentless Rafa is, and, and it's not an underrated trait at all. Um, you know, the grass court season's coming up. Fed's at 20, Rafa's at 18, Novak's at 15. Can Fed get back up to 21? What if, what if Fed, Rafa, and Novak all finish at 20? That'd be something. Um, as far as the big three goes, John Wirth, I made this, made, made this statement. You know, there's the big three about 10 majors in a row, and 31 of 38 that have been played in this decade. And again, the tallies 20, 18, and 15. Um, <laughs> on clay, Rafa is Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan. <laughs> on clay, Rafa is Babe Ruth and Michael Jordan put together. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. Um, I really don't know what to say anymore about Rafa. I do want to thank you guys for tuning in. I do want to thank Noah Rubin again, um, last minute for agreeing to call in. This was really, really cool to know to do it again. Check out my podcast with him. It's episode 36 on iTunes and Google Play. Um, also, check out his recent podcast with Mike Cation. It was released today, I believe. Um, he's got great intentions, and the, and the sport is lucky to have Noah. He's just looking to, for the betterment of the sport, which, uh, we, all, we, which we all want. Thank you guys for tuning in. I appreciate it. And again, spread the word about this segment. We have a blast doing it, and we keep getting uh, more and more guests. Thank you, guys.